Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. As well. In John, St. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar verse. The Bible says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Happy Birthday, Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for each person who's come here today, and I pray that you would speak to us, God. Teach us what you would have us to know. God, I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that would honor you, Father. I pray that you would give us spiritual ears to listen to you today. We believe that you are the one true living God, the only real God. We believe that your word is alive and that it's powerful. And we ask you to be powerful here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy birthday, Jesus. There, there's a cute little song that they normally have kids sing that says that very thing. And I hope at some point this week you will think about the birth of Jesus Christ. All over the world, people are preparing to celebrate Christmas this week, but I hope that you're open-minded enough to realize Christmas means different things to different people. Christmas has, is celebrated different ways by different people, and I'm all about traditions. I, I, I like traditions. I, I believe what I heard uh, Dr. Dobson say many years ago, that one of the best things that you can do for your family is to have traditions, things that uh, create stability, things that create routine, things where people know, well, this is what our family does. Now, our family, my family, is, is very different in the way that we celebrate Christmas than yours, but everybody is amped up to celebrate Christmas this year, but it's also a sad time for many people. It, it, it's the suicide month of the year, uh, especially in this country. And I want you to, listen, if you don't get anything out of today, get this. I want you to do something special spiritually this year for Christmas. Whatever your tradition is, have your tradition. But I want you to incorporate some Jesus into your tradition. Amen? Now, a lot of people say, oh, our tradition is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus to my family, I think I could probably dispel that in about four seconds for most people, uh, but I want you to allow God to be in your Christmas. Amen? Um, it's, it's universally, it, it's, uh, even though people celebrate it uh, different ways with different thoughts, it universally, at, at, at its root, it's a time where people on this planet remember uh, that God sent His Son to be born on the earth. I like this so much as I was studying it, I printed it out in my notes, and I want to read it to you. I want you to see it on the screen, what the Encyclopedia Britannica has to say about Christmas. Since the earliest 20th century, that's weird. 
I never, I, I never liked that as a kid, still don't like it as an adult. Stop naming, stop naming the century 100 years before the first two letters or the first letter, well, number that we say. The uh, 1900s, all of us, most of us, uh, so the, the teenagers and younger in this room were born in 19-something. The 1900s was which century? Some of y'all didn't want to answer out loud because you didn't want to be wrong. I respect that. Uh, but it's always the, the one ahead of it. So right now we're in year 2019, but what century are we in? It's just crazy, but that's how it works. So since the 20th century, what hundreds was that? That's the 1900s. That, that's the century that most of us were born in. Since the early 20th century, Christmas has also been a secular family holiday observed by Christians and non-Christians alike. Look at this part in the middle of the screen. Devoid of Christian elements and marked by an increasingly elaborate exchange of gifts. In this secular Christmas celebration, a mythical figure named Santa Claus plays the pivotal role. I'm not going to stand up here today and crash on Santa Claus. I got no problem with Santa Claus. Obviously, uh, I'm okay with older, heavyset, uh, big-bellied dudes. Uh, I got no problem with Santa Claus. I got no problem with Christmas trees, caroling, lights, decorations, candy canes, all that other stuff. But I hope that whatever of that you incorporate into your celebration, you remember that the first half of the word Christmas is Christ. Uh, and it, it, it's so cliche when, when pastors and Christians say, well, let's keep Christ in Christmas. Uh, you ought to keep Christ at the forefront of your mind every day of the year. Uh, but I hope that some kind of way this year that there is a Jesus focus on your Christmas. Most, most people uh, have no idea what Christmas is really all about in as much as it's celebrated uh, largely in the United States and other places around the world, what has come to mean. Well, people think, well, it's to celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, maybe, but that didn't even happen in, until sometime between the 3rd and the 4th century that that even came to be. Well, it's a time of gift giving uh, to remember that the wise men gave gifts at the birth of Christ. Well, we've already seen biblically the wise men didn't give gifts at the birth of Christ. Yes, they did. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know the song. We three kings of Orient are. Uh, are what? I, but the Bible says that when those people showed up they showed up at the house and went inside the house to see the young child. They had been walking for years. They weren't even at the nativity scene. And check this out, all you checker outers that want to, you know, back check me, which I'm cool with. Back check this out. They, gift giving wasn't even popular until the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. People didn't even begin giving gifts to each other. That's a newbie. That's, that's something that, that just has happened, listen, in grandmama's day. All right, now how many people had a, oh, I don't want you to out yourself. Everybody in here, I don't know, grandma, hey mom, my mom's in church today. Everybody put, put their hands together for family in church. What year was your mother born, do you know? She don't know. 1940, so your grandmother was born in the 1800s. So if, if you're as old as my mom, then you, get, you, got, you had family that was born in the 1800s, and that's the generation that started throwing this, let's just all give 
gifts to each other, and just that's another Johnny-come-lately new tradition. People say, well, Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus Christ. There's not one credible scholar on the planet that believes December 25th was the day that Jesus was born. It is a day that we, uh, many of us celebrate as the birth of Jesus Christ, but they rejected that concept in the early centuries after Christ died uh, because it was never right for martyrs. This, this, is, this is what the early church believed, and it carried on through hundreds of years after Jesus' death, that those who were saints or martyrs should never have their date of birth remembered. They should have their date of martyrdom remembered because that's when they had their real birth into eternity. So it was never fitting in the early church mindset for a birthday of a martyr to be, and if Jesus is nothing else to anyone, he is surely a martyr. He was surely uh, killed and gave his life for what he believed in. And so all these different things that we think about Christmas um, are, are not necessarily Christian, but I'm okay with that. I like seeing pretty lights twinkling in, 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 in yards and hanging from trees and stuff like that. I don't like the fact that it's become popular on my street every night for people to have parties that block off the street um, on both sides. And I got to try to get between. I'm on a two-lane road, got cars on both sides. I'm trying to get between parking across. Listen, let me help some of y'all parking people. If you're parking in a neighborhood and there's already a car here, don't park directly across from and how are we going to get in between, y'all? Uh, I just, I, I think I ought to drive my navigator. I could scratch both of them at the same time. But I, uh, back to the lesson at hand. Christmas should be fun. Christmas should be exciting. Christmas should involve your tradition. But I want it somehow, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point this week, I want you to think about Jesus. Is that okay with anybody? Can we do that? Amen. Whatever you believe, however you choose to celebrate, it's undeniable that there is a link to Jesus Christ in the word Christmas. Do I have to preach on that or can we just grab that right off the bat? Christmas has something to do with Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to talk to you, uh, not necessarily, not specifically uh, just about the birth. We're not going to visit the manger scene. Uh, we're going to do some of that on Wednesday night. I invite you to come, but I want to talk to you about why Jesus came in the first place uh, and what his coming means to us. In our opening text in John 3.16, the Bible says, for God, so loved, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. First thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus came because God sent him. You ought to be thankful that God sent Jesus because God didn't have to send Jesus. And a lot of people don't understand. Maybe you never took the time to realize it or maybe you just got bad theology. Maybe you just haven't studied it out to, to, to the right degree yet. But Jesus did not come into existence 2,000 years ago. Jesus did not come to be in existence and in the manger scene with Joseph and Mary and some animals, the Bible says in the very beginning that um, God said in the beginning of Genesis, let us 
make man in our image. Now, that, that means either God was talking to somebody or there, there's, there's some stuff going on there, and God's not crazy. And now, listen, some of you older people, you need, even maybe some of you younger people, you, you need to know, it's okay to talk to yourself. It's just bad to answer yourself. All right, but Jesus has always been, the Bible says in St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It goes on to tell us later in that chapter that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So Jesus has always been around, but 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son to be in this earth for some very specific purposes. Don't answer out loud, no matter how many times I say that. I can say, don't answer out loud, don't answer out loud, please don't answer out loud. Still, there's always one person in the room that wants to answer out loud. Listen, don't answer out loud, but think in your mind, if someone asked you, why did Jesus come to this planet? You need to have the proper answer. You need to have some understanding. We're going to talk, look at that a little bit. Number one reason, Jesus came because God sent him. For thousands of years, God's people, people that believed what God said through the prophets in the Old Testament, had waited for this deliverer. They had waited for this Savior that was prophesied, this Messiah that was prophesied. They had been waiting for a long time for God to send Messiah, the promised one who would deliver them. And Jesus came because God sent him, and he's fulfilled hundreds of prophecies written about him in the Old Testament. God had promised that a deliverer would come and save his people from their sin and their situation. Now, most people would rather be saved from their situation than their sin. Your situation is where you're at right now. Maybe it's all messed up. Maybe it's problematic. Maybe it's difficult. The people of God, the history of their entire being had been problematic. It had been slavery. It had been difficulty. It had been oppression. And they really wanted God to send this promised deliverer, this promised Messiah to get them out of their struggle, their current situation. But I want to tell you, situations change from day to day, from from decade to decade, from century to century. Situations are constantly shifting, but we need salvation from sin more than we need salvation from your situation. Now, you're never going to get this in real life, but if God ever came into your room and he said, would you rather I save you from the problem you're going through currently, or would you rather I save you eternally from your sin and give you a place in heaven, I hope you know what the right answer is. But they had been waiting forever, and this is something that I've shared with you many times before. I want you to grasp it today. Everybody who's ever been saved was saved by believing in God's Messiah, the promised deliverer, the the, the Savior that God sent. We get saved by looking back 2,000 years ago at the cross. The people, Adam and Eve, because God promised from Adam and Eve forward that he would send a deliverer. The, the people in Moses' day, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people in the Old Testament, they got saved by looking forward to the coming of the Savior. We get saved by looking back at the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. But everybody gets saved the same way. God sent 
Jesus. Well, that's the number one reason I want you to get. So, everybody's paying attention. Let's believe. Let's pretend like we're in Wednesday night Bible study, where we do open discussion, interactive Bible study. Uh, anybody that's listening, tell me why did Jesus come? Because God sent him. That's what the Bible tells us. God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. Second reason Jesus came so that everyone who believes in Him could be saved and have eternal life in heaven. This is huge. Say huge. If you are from that old school, I had a preacher tell me one time, people shouldn't get saved for fire insurance just so they miss hell. And I can remember sitting there thinking, well, if I was going to do it, that's why I'd do it. He said, don't get saved just so you miss hell. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to go to hell. Anybody there with me? I think it's a pretty good reason to get saved so you miss hell. And I believe one of the reasons Jesus came, the Bible teaches, so that everyone who believes in him could be saved. Now, be saved has become a church word where people are like, are you saved? And most people don't even understand what that meant. So I elaborated a little bit, which means to have eternal life in heaven. Are you saved? There's a lot of things Jesus saves us from. He saves us uh, mostly from sin and hell, death, the grave, but he also saves us from ourselves. If you're saved at all, you know there are things that God has saved you from that you were creating in your own life. But Jesus came so that we could have somebody to believe in. Listen to what our text says in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved understand what it means to be saved. If you call yourself saved, that means you should be saved from fear of eternal punishment. You're saved from being condemned at the judgment. You are saved from being a slave to sin, and God has done something fantastic in your life. But it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I believe this is the, the place where so many Christians miss the point. Christianity is not just about judgment and condemnation. But if you ask the world, if you ask unchurched people, if you ask un, uh, unsaved people, if you ask people who don't profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, what do they think about Christian people? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of different concepts will come to the forefront, and very few of them are positive. Now, we've heard for years the reason why people don't come to church is because all the hypocrites in church. Well, that's easily dispelled because the Bible says everyone's a hypocrite. You can't avoid hypocrites. If you're not coming, if you know somebody who won't come to church because of all the hypocrites, ask them how do they go to the bar. Are there hypocrites in the bar? Ask them how do they go to Burger King, McDonald's, any restaurant. Ask them how they go to the grocery store. There's hypocrites in the grocery store. Ask them how they go to the bathroom when they, they take a hypocrite into the bathroom with them when they go. <laughs> Truth's the truth anyhow. Uh, but, but Jesus came so that we could be saved. Where, and so many people think that the point of Christianity is judgment and condemnation. If your concept of God is some old dude sitting up in heaven waiting to zap you every time you step out of line, you've missed who the God of the Bible is. Because if God was just looking to zap us every time we stepped out of line, we'd all be zapped. There would be 
no hope for us. The God of the Bible, he declares for himself that he is quick to pardon, ready to forgive, slow to anger. His justice demands payment must be made, but his mercy rises against his, judge, his justice and allows us salvation and eternal life in heaven. I want you to get it in your mind. If you're a Christian, your representation of Jesus and God should be more about mercy, love, and forgiveness than judgment, criticism, and condemnation. That's what so many people outside of Christ think that, well, Christians are so judgy, they're so critical, they're so condemning. I, I want to pro, uh, present this to you this morning, my, my belief, believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe. I believe people who present that type of Christ are not truly even Christians. I believe that the, the type of quote-unquote Christian whose major emphasis is judgment, negativity, criticism, finger-pointing, blame-casting, looking down their nose at, at non-Christians, I believe they're not even saved at all because if they were saved, they would understand that God saved them when he didn't have to and he gave them mercy in their sin. And they would understand, listen, this, this, God, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. God sent Jesus into the world so that the world could find real salvation and real forgiveness. Listen to 1 John 4, 9. The Bible says God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. The next verse, verse 10 says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I'm not going to preach long this morning and keep you in here forever, but I remember a sermon I preached one time called The Great Transfer. And it took a long time for me to tell this. Hopefully you'll grab it real quick. The great transfer is what the Christian story is all about. We have sin. Jesus had perfection. Uh, we had wrongness and separation from God. Jesus had unity and oneness with God. God made a great transfer on the cross where Jesus took our sins for us, paid the payment for our sins for us, and gave us real salvation. That brings me to my third reason. Why did Jesus come? He came to take away our sins. Now, if you don't think you have sins, you need an inpatient program. You need an inhaler. You need medication. You need electroshock therapy. You need to be held underwater. Now, listen, all have, the Bible says all have sin. Now, that's real for everybody on the planet. Christians need to understand that so they don't look down their nose at anybody and think, well, I'm better because at least I'm saved. Uh, if that's your concept, maybe you're not. But uh, unsaved people need to realize that. I have met people who struggled with the concept of sin. I've had people tell me when I ask them, do you believe that you have ever sinned? And I've had people say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Okay, well, evidently there's some comprehension problems there because I didn't ask them if they were a pretty good person. I asked them, have you ever sinned? And I've had this response a lot. Well, I've never killed anybody. At this point, I start sweating down my back. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to hold your head underwater until you can hear what I'm saying. Have you ever sinned? Well, 
I already told you I'm a good person. Okay, it's, it's not time to give up on that person. It's time to understand that they are deceived. They don't understand reality, either that or they just don't speak English and they're no comprende, okay? Uh, but here, here's what I want you to know. It's good news that Jesus came to take away our sins. Is that right? It's good news that Jesus came to take away our sins, but you got to admit that you, ha- you have some. This will change the world if people will admit that they have sin. It'll change Christians from being uh, critical and judgmental and condemning because they'll realize, hey, I'm, I'm messed up enough in my own life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be kind to everybody because God is kind and forgiving of me. But it'll also change the life of unbelievers. you got to believe that you have sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned. This is a biblical concept and a concept of common sense and reality. I love that dude, Kirk Cameron. He goes into bad areas, dangerous areas, and he talks to really roughneck people, and he puts his life on the line. I'm guessing there's some some, uh, bodyguards around him somewhere because he ain't a big dude. But he looks at these gangbangers and like, have you ever sinned? And, And they're like, you talking to me? And he tells them, I'm not Jewish. No, that's an inside joke. Uh, Jew talking to me? Uh, no. And, and they, they act like they don't have any sin. So then he breaks it down. And he, he, he asks them this, have you ever stolen anything? And they're like, yes. And he says, well, if you've stolen something, what does that make you? And they look at him like, and he says, a thief. And then I'm thinking, oh, it's about to break loose in here. And then he asked them, have you ever told a lie? Well, if you told a lie, what does that make you? A liar. And, and he breaks them all down like this. And, and he says, have you ever uh, loved anything more than you love God? Well, that makes you an idolater. So you're telling me that you don't have any sin, but you're a lying, idolatrous thief. Well, the truth's the truth anyhow. It is shocking how many people struggle with admitting that they have sin. And I want you to understand today, no person on the planet should struggle admitting that they have sin. Whether you're saved or unsaved, if you're saved, you ought to know that you've got sin and you ought to thank God for forgiving it and not stand in condemnation of anybody else because God didn't stand in condemnation of you. If you're unsaved, if, you're, if you haven't become a Christian yet, if you haven't made your decision for Christ, you ought to admit that, yeah, I've sinned, I've messed up. The Bible says it, but common sense also demands it. Jesus came to remedy that problem, though, because we've all sinned. Listen to what's said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21, talking about the Virgin Mary. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I want you to get to the place in your life where you understand that the Bible is the true, uh, infallible, no mistake, having perfect word of God, and get some comprehension when you read it. They were told, Mary and Joseph were told to call the baby's name Jesus because he will save who? His people from their sins. If you are his people, then he has saved you from your sins. If you are not self-described as his people, then this doesn't work for you just yet. You need to become his people so that you can connect to this 
promise. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it was my text for that great transfer uh, sermon that I talked about. For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the transfer. You bring your sin, he gives you his righteousness. You bring your destiny for hell, he gives you his destiny for heaven. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so we could be made right with God. If you don't understand the message of Christianity, the message of Christianity is this. God put man and woman in a garden they were perfect. They had perfect communion with God. They had perfect communion with animals. There was no sin. They messed up. They sinned. Their sin separated them from God. He promised to bring a deliverer that would forgive everyone for their sins. Jesus came to forgive everyone of their sins. Jesus hung on the cross, and the Bible says he bore our sin in his body. He became, there was a time from, if you study historical fact, you can talk to astrologers about this, you can talk to scientists about this, this, this darkness anomaly is well noted in science. From noon to three o'clock on the day that Jesus died, the earth went dark. There was this time where the sin of everyone who ever had or would live was placed on the body of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel records him crying out to God, my father, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says God's eyes are too pure as to look on sin. And when Jesus took my sin and your sin on his body, when he became sin so that we could become righteousness, this transference was happening. And I wondered this morning, have you been a partaker of this divine transference? Have you given him everything that you are to become everything that he is? Have you taken the little bit that you have and given it to God to get all that he has it through his son Jesus Christ I told you that everybody has sinned that's common sense you ought to know that the Bible declares it the Bible also declares that the payment in Romans 3 23 the Bible declares that the payment for sin is death well what did Jesus do on the cross he died now, you can choose to make your own payment for sin, which is that separation from God that Jesus experienced on the cross and that death that he experienced, or you can choose to believe by faith in the payment that Jesus Christ made for your sin, and you can enter into this covenant relationship with God that we call salvation. The fourth reason I believe Jesus came is to show us what God is like. I hope that in your time on this planet, you get a glimpse of the divine. I hope that sometime in your lifetime, you get the opportunity to see what God really looks like. In Colossians 1.15, the Bible says, Christ is the visible, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. And he is supreme over all creation. Jesus came so that people could see what God looks like. He was the physical, visible image of the invisible God. Not in 
his flesh. The Bible says that God is beautiful, but that Jesus had no physical beauty to look on. So we're not talking about in the natural. We're talking about in the physical realm. And this is where people get God confused. This is where people try to dumb God down to their own level. And it's easily seen in the two dominant races in America. White people, being a majority race in America, have dumbed down what Jesus looks like by putting pictures on walls and paintings on walls of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus and his 12 followers. That Last Supper scene, and it's funny because I've seen them. I haven't seen a Hispanic one. Take a picture of one. Uh, mail it to me. Um, <laughs> but I've seen lots of these paintings of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus and his uh, white 12 disciples at the Lord's Supper hanging on artwork, and I'm thinking, well, you might not be totally racist, but you got a wrong view racially of what Jesus looks like because he couldn't have been that color because he was born in the Middle East, and they don't, they don't flavor that color in the Middle East. It's too hot with no AC over there. People, my shade will be, hey, if you went over there my shade, you wouldn't stay my shade for more than two hours. Because you would go from this shade to red to crispy, and over centuries, you, you would develop more melanin in your generations so that you could tolerate that w- without dying from massive sunburn, okay? So that, that, that's a wrong image of God, but I've been in black people's homes that had Jesus with an afro and his his 12 disciples at the Lord's Supper. Black power! Uh, and, And thinking that Jesus, listen, he wasn't from Africa. Now, he traveled to Africa, but he was born to Jewish people. Uh, and he, he was a brown. But listen, what, why do I say that? Because people, when you try to make him look like you, you are dumbing him down. And if God has to look like you in the natural realm for you to worship him, then what you really want to do is worship yourself. Well, I'm white, so I believe Jesus must be white. I'm a proud black man, so I know the Lord was a brother. You're just dumbing him down because you want to worship what looks like you. When I say that he was the image, or when the Bible says he was the visible image of the invisible God, it's not talking about in the natural. He's showing us what God looks like. He he came to show us what God is all about. In Matthew 1.23, the gospel says that a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is God in the flesh. The Bible tells us that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily inside Jesus. Jesus came to see, to show the world what God talks like, the way God thinks, the way God treats people. And the Bible tells us that we are ambassadors or representatives of God in the earth today and your life ought to be doing the same thing today that Jesus life was doing 2,000 years ago you ought to be showing people what God looks like 
not in your melanin, not in your hairstyle, not in your physique, but in your attitude, who you are on the inside. You ought to be carrying the attributes of the divine with you because Jesus said that after he died, was buried, and rose from the dead, that God would send the Holy Spirit that would live inside us and be inside us, and we would be witnesses to the whole world. So here's what I want to do. I told you what I told you to get to this quick recap. And because last week was a long sermon, this week is not going to be long. But I want you to pay attention for the next five minutes as I recap this because information is cool. But information without application will only bring you frustration. If you don't apply what you learn, you're just going to swell up and be an egghead. If you don't apply the truth that you know, then you are just a walking uh, conflation of facts without reality. So... I want you for the next five minutes to listen and pay attention and apply what has been said. First thing I told you, Jesus came because God sent him. Do you believe that God sent Jesus into this earth? Or do you believe he was just a human being born of a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph? You have to. When people tell me, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, well, hold on. You do believe in Jesus. Every Body believes in Jesus. That's like saying you don't believe in George Washington. That's like you saying you don't believe in Asia. Uh, no, the, the truth's the truth anyhow. Everyone believes in Jesus as far as him being a historical figure, as far as him being a person that lived on this planet. Everybody believes in Jesus. He's the most documented human being that ever lived, but everybody doesn't believe that God sent him. Everybody doesn't believe that he's God's son. Everybody doesn't believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. See, that's the difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian. It's not that we come to church and try to live good lives. Those are byproducts of our salvation. That's, you don't get saved by coming to church. You don't get saved by turning over a new leaf. You don't get saved by doing good works. The Bible says, by keeping of the law, no one will be justified before God, but by faith. Faith, believing the right thing, believing what? That he died, was buried, and he rose again. We got to believe that God sent him for this purpose. And if you do believe that God sent him, I want to ask you this this morning. Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Are you, are, are, are you glad? Are you thankful? Do you appreciate the fact that God sent Jesus for you. That God sent Jesus to take away your sin. Are you grateful that God sent See, because he didn't have to come. Now, I've heard preachers tell stories and I've read stuff where, where people are like, God and Jesus were up in heaven talking about Adam and Eve's sin and there needed to be a payment for sin. So Jesus tapped God on the shoulder and said, I'll go. And no, Jesus never tapped God on the shoulder. Jesus never told God what he was going to do. Jesus didn't volunteer to come and be the sacrifice for us. God purposed that from the beginning that Jesus would be the sacrifice for us. God sent you. The reason Jesus came is because God sent him. And if you're a Christian, you better be grateful for that. You ought to wake up every day and thank God that you woke up and thank God for sending his son Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus... We wouldn't know God at all. Second thing I want you to consider, I told you Jesus came so that everyone that believes in him could be saved and have eternal life in heaven. 
I want to ask you this morning, very simply, are you saved? So many people come to church and I ask them, are you saved? And they say stuff like this, I'm trying to be. That's like me asking you if you're pregnant and you say you're trying to be. Well, the answer is no, not yet. You, you're just getting busy, but you ain't, all, you, ain't, you ain't pregnant. I ask people, are you saved? And I hear them say stuff like, well, I hope so. Eternity is, is, is too important for you to be hoping so. That's not good enough. If there is a real heaven and a real hell, hoping that you get to the right place and avoid the wrong place, that's a bad gamble to take. God's Word tells us in 1 John that he, he wrote these things down so that we could know that we have eternal life. Do you know for sure? Do you know that you know? Are you for sure that you have been saved? I'm not talking about walking an aisle, praying a prayer, shaking a preacher's hand. I did that as a little kid. I walked out. Preacher said, if you don't want to go to hell, come down right now, and I'm going to pray with you so you can be saved. I, well, that's, I already told you all I don't want to go to hell. I walked down the aisle. He said, why are you coming, boy? My, 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 my urban is swollen up. I said, who you calling, boy? No, that didn't happen. He said, why are you coming, boy? I said, because I don't want to go to hell. He said, well, then pray this prayer after me. He said, pray this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe. And I pray, I repeated this prayer after him that so many of y'all have done. And, and he said, amen. I said, amen. He said, now look at me. I looked at him. He said, you're a Christian now because you prayed that prayer. And then he turned me around, put his hands on the back of my shoulder, and he said, this morning we have little Scotty Becker coming to accept Jesus as his Savior. All those who rejoice in his decision, let it be known by saying amen. And some people said amen, and some people clapped, and some people just stood there. I'm like, they ain't rejoicing with me. But the bottom line is, I prayed a prayer. I walked that aisle, shook the preacher's hand. I said the magic words that he told me to say. He told me I got to get scheduled for baptism. I got baptized. I did all those things, and I still wasn't saved. Because you don't get saved from walking an aisle. You don't get saved from praying a prayer. You don't get shaved, saved from shaking a preacher's hand. And you don't get saved from getting dunked in a pool of water. You get saved, the Bible says, by faith. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. The scripture says that if you call on his name, he will save you. Well, here's the dilemma. I called on his name when I was in the third grade and he didn't save me. And that made me scratch my head and wonder. I called out on his name lots of times laying on, listen, if you've ever been a real drug addict or alcoholic, if you've, ever, uh, if you've ever been real drunk to the point where you got the dry heaves and you were laying on that cold tile in the bathroom because that cold was the only thing that felt good at the time and you were having them, your stomach and guts were hurting because you'd puked up everything, even the boldest atheist right then would call on his name. You start praying to the porcelain. Oh, God. 
Oh, God of this toilet, if you'll stop these dry heaves right now, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll give my money to you. You start calling out, oh, God of the Bible, God of the Old Testament, God, God of Oprah Winfrey, God of Tom Crow, whoever you got, uh, help me. Jesus, Allah, anybody. But that won't save you either. I did a lot of personally God calling out, for, for the, and, and that never helped me because God said to the prophet Jeremiah that you will only find me when you search for me with your whole heart. See, Christianity is not a decision to be made. Uh, you can make it walking an aisle and praying with somebody. But Christianity is not a decision to be made because you want something. Christianity is not a decision to be made emotionally. Christianity is not a decision to be made just to get out of your current crisis. Christianity results when you believe that God sent His Son to save you and you really search for Him with your whole heart. Now that can be manifested by walking an aisle. That can be manifested by praying a prayer. But you really have to be sincere about it. Because I'm going to tell you this. If you think going to he- you're going to go to heaven because you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, you got baptized, you did a few good things, but your life isn't showing your love for God, I want to tell you the Bible says you are a false believer and you have deceived yourself. So my real question to you, if you believe that Jesus came so that you could be saved, are you really saved? Are you really born again? And when people tell me, well, I think so, I'm not sure. Listen, if you're not sure, then I don't believe that you are. I don't be- Now, everybody not, might not remember their salvation event the way I remember my salvation event. I came home from a party one night uh, on July 15, 1981, and I threw my shirt down next to a Bible, and that Bible jumped out at me. I read that Bible. I got on my knees. I prayed, and I asked God to save me. Everything about my life changed. I had a radical transformation. I can tell you exactly where I was between my bed and the wall at 6956 Malden Lane, 32244, on the west side of Jacksonville. I can show you exactly where I got saved. I can tell you the date, the time that it happened. You might not remember all all those details about getting saved, but you will remember something. You, you can't have an experience with the, well, I'm saved. I'm just not sure when I got saved. Now, the only way that that can be true is if you got saved at a very young age and you followed through with your salvation in proof of following God your whole life. But for everybody else, if you're saved, there had to be a time and a place where you got, see, nobody came into the world saved. The Bible says all have sinned. Everybody had to get saved. You might not remember what church you were in. You might not remember if it was a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but you remember something about it. I'm going to use this illustration and move on because it stands out to me. If I walked down off this stage right now and walked up and just pimp slapped you with my strong pimp hand, if bam, slap you right in your face a week from now, A month from now, 75 years from now, if you're still in your right mind, you might not remember what my name is. You might not remember how sharp my boots were. You might not remember the name of this church, that it was on a December Sunday morning service, but you're going to remember what happened to you. You're going to remember it. Why? Because it happened to you. 
If it's a real experience that you've had, you remember something about it. So my question to you this morning is, are you saved? Because it's cool to believe that God sent His Son. It's cool to believe that Jesus saves people so they can have eternal life in heaven. But is that you? Or are you still hoping so? Are you still trying? Are you still thinking maybe one day that will be you? Listen, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and it is too important to put this decision on hold. Tomorrow is not promised for you. you. Today could be your last day on earth. And if today was your last day on earth, if you died today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If you say, well, I was a good person or anything other than because I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that your son came to save me, that he died, that he buried, and that he rose from the dead. You can't have resurrection power without believing in the resurrection. Third thing I told you was Jesus came to take away our sins. I want to ask you this morning, has he taken away your sins? If you believe that he has taken away your sins, you ought to be happier. If you believe that he has taken away your sins, you ought to be more humble. If you believe that he has taken away your sins, you ought to be more holy. If your lifestyle has no joy over your salvation, if it has no holiness because of your transformation, then you had not truly been saved. If you have no humility over the fact that God saved you when he didn't have to, then I don't believe that you're truly saved. I've, I've talked to so many people that have told me, well, I think I'm saved. The devil just tries to keep me confused. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Well, I've had people say, well, I, I, I believe I'm saved, but I just believe the devil tries to keep my mind flooded with doubt. I don't believe that at all. The devil knows the reality. The devil knows the score. And if the devil was trying to give you doubts about your salvation, doubts about your salvation would prompt you to seek God more. And the devil is not trying to get you to seek God more. I believe people who have continued doubts about their salvation, that's not the devil doing something. That's the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God trying to nudge you and say, what you have is not all there is. What you have is not real salvation. What you have is not the new birth that the Bible promises. Church is not enough. Religion is not enough. You need to have true, biblical, Holy Ghost, life-transforming salvation. The last thing I told you is Jesus came to show us what God is like. And my question to you is, have you come to know God through His Son? Have you come to know God through his son? Have you had a real relationship? Jesus came to show us what God is like. Have you made your decision for Jesus? Because the reality is you can't make a decision for God without Jesus. And this is where spiritualist people make it. You ever hear somebody tell you or you see on somebody's social media platform, spiritual but not religious. You know that they're a God hater. They want to believe that there's a hookup with something beyond without Jesus Christ. And there is no hookup with God without Jesus Christ. Last verse I'm going to share with you. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He didn't say he was a way, 
a truth or a part of the life. He is the way to God, the truth about God, and the life of God lived out in the flesh. And no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. People ask me, well, what about good people that don't accept Jesus? They don't go to heaven. Well, what about great people? that don't accept, they don't go to heaven. Well, what about morally upright people who do a lot of good for humanity? They don't go to heaven. Well, what about Muslims that don't believe in Jesus? They don't go to heaven. Well, what about uh, Baptists that don't believe in Jesus? What about Catholics? What about, what about you? You cannot get to heaven any other way. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is something in the life of every human being. Spiritualist people call it the spark of the divine. People that talk like that ain't saved. That's, that's a clue, okay? The pe people use that type of verbiage, don't really know the God of the Bible. But there is a longing inside of every human being that's ever been created to connect with the Creator. And that's because there's a void in every life that's born. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are born dead in our trespasses and sin, and we can only come to life through salvation. There, there, there's an emptiness. This is why people chase drugs. They chase alcohol. This is why people chase fame, why they chase money, why they try to find love in all the wrong places. There is a emptiness, a void that can only be filled through God. And the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. Have you had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you traded your life for His life? Have you been forgiven of your sins? I, I told you, Jesus came to show us what God looks like. Have you met the one true and living God through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I've got great news for you today. God said He'd save you if you'd ask Him. He said if you'd search for Him with your whole heart that you could have real salvation. I believe, see, people get caught up on Christmas presents. That's cool. If that's your tradition, then, then do, do what you do. But I believe the greatest present you could get on Christmas of 2019 is real salvation. The greatest gift you could get is to receive the gift that God sent in His Son. Are you really comfortable with what you call your belief system about God? Are you really comfortable that you're saved? It blows my mind the number of people I counsel that come in and tell me they're strung out on this, they're hung up on that, and then I ask them, well, have you ever considered getting saved? And they tell me, oh, I know I'm saved. And that blows me away. The Bible says that the righteous are scarcely saved scarcely saved the righteous are only saved because of their belief system not because of anything good that they've done if you are hung up with all that foolishness how can you be so confident that you're saved when I when I counsel people and I ask them how often you read your Bible well not that much how often do you have really quality times in prayer well not that much how often do you go to church and serve God well not why would you believe that you're truly saved if that's your testimony God didn't send Jesus to come into this world 
to bear our sins on his body, to be rejected of his father on the cross, to be spat on, to be beaten, to be crucified, hung naked on a cross for all the world to mock. God didn't send his son to go through all that so you could halfway some kind of little bit, kind of, sort of believe. No, God didn't send his best so that you could halfway believe in him and Jesus didn't halfway die on the cross he didn't halfway beat death hell in the grave by being resurrected from the dead and you need to trade in your halfway belief system and get real salvation it's not hard for us Jesus did all the hard work the Bible says the payment for sin is death Jesus died on the cross the Bible says that you're not saved by keeping the law. You're saved by believing in the resurrection. All you have to do, you already believe that Jesus was a person. Unless you're really out there, it's, it's evidentiary true that Jesus was a human being that lived on this planet. But do you believe that he died and rose from the dead? Because the Bible says that he rose from the dead so he could be the first among many who would rise from the dead. Do you want to be in that number? Or do you just want to be, hey, that's for y'all. That ain't for me. If that's your mindset, then hell will be your portion. And there will be no escape forever. The Bible says that all souls are eternal. You will live forever in one of two places. And it blows my mind how many people think that when you die, that's just it for you. Really? That's your whole concept of, of, of all that is inside us? I mean, the, the, the fact that our mind is stronger than any computer in the world, the fact that we have these longings for existentialism, the fact that we have these longings for the divine, the fact that we have all, you just think that life ceases to exist after 70, 80, 100 years? No, the Bible says that everyone will exist forever in one of two places. Either in heaven or in hell. Oh, it's Christmas time, and it's, it's awesome that Jesus was a little baby born in a manger. See, he came into this earth as a baby born in a manger. And one of the saddest parts about the Christmas story that I read to my kids every year on Christmas morning is that he was born in a, in a stable because the innkeeper told them there is no room for you here. There was no room in the local hotel. There was no room to take Jesus in. And I see in that so clearly. We live in a country that tells God, there's no room for you here. And some of you get all wired up about the politics of that, but is there room for him in you? Is there room in your life for Jesus? came into the world born as a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago but when he comes back this next time he's not coming back as a baby he's not coming back to be spat on he's not coming back to be mocked criticized beaten or crucified he's coming back with all power to reign as the true and living king of all kings and if you don't make your peace with him now there will be no chance for you in the beyond. I've had people tell me, well, before I die, I'll get right with God and I'll become a Christian before I die. Problem with that is you don't know when that's going to happen. 
You don't know if you'll have that dying breath to call out on him. You might be unconscious before that comes. You don't know when that day will come. So I ask you again, are you ready right now? Are you ready right now? Do you know for sure that you are truly, not, a, not just churchy, but born again? Do you really have a relationship? See, people think, oh, I'm saved. You're not saved if you don't have a real active, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. You just got church. You're not saved if you're not truly in love with the God of the Bible. Salvation is a loving relationship with a holy God that came through belief in what he did with his son, Jesus Christ. Do you really have that? Because if you don't, you ought to get that today. You ought to get real salvation today. Listen, Jesus did all the hard work on the cross. The Bible says all you have to do is confess him with your mouth and believe in him with your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's, it, it's mind-blowing to me that God made it as simple as a belief system, but that's what he did. Do you believe? Oh, people believe in the manger story. They don't believe in the glory story. People believe in the death of Jesus, but they don't all believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I love that song. Because he lives. I love that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But I love that twist that Nicole Mullen put on that song. My Redeemer lives. She said, I know he lives because I spoke with him this morning. When you say your prayers, is, 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 there, is there an awareness that you're speaking to the God of all creation? Or is it just a formal thing that you do because you're supposed to do it? Did you speak to him this morning? Did you speak to him yesterday? Do you know him well enough to have a conversation with him? If you don't, he said, if you'd call on him in real sincerity, if you'd believe that he died for you, you can have a real relationship with his father. We're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. We're going, to, we're going to have an opportunity for anybody who wants to get saved to get saved today. You, you, you might be thinking, well, I thought it didn't come from shaking hands and praying prayers. It doesn't come from shaking hands and praying prayers. But it does come from calling out on him. And, and we're going to have um, our altar ministers on the altar in just a minute. And they're, they're going to be here to pray with you. If you need somebody to pray with you so you can be saved, you can come today and you can be saved. And it would be the greatest Christmas that, that you have ever had in your whole life because you'll know the Christ of the Christmas. If you're here and you already are saved, we're going to have an opportunity for you. You can come to this altar. You can pray where you are. But we're all going to take a few moments and we're going to thank God for sending his son for us. If you're physically able, I want you to stand on your feet with me as I pray. Bow your heads and pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you do your work your way. Draw people by your spirit is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org.
Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.